When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. <clears throat> her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out uh, what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. That's definitely on. <laughs> Great. Well, it's lovely to be with you this morning, see all your smiling faces. And I think that was a great idea, Lynn. I really, really like that. Well, ours was going to be anticipation, but that was... <laughs> we kind of... We... <laughs> yeah, we, we thought again. Um, so it'd be really handy if you've got a Bible to, um, to turn to Luke chapter 1. Um, which is a very long uh, chapter, all 80 verses. Um, ah, that's what I'm after. Right. What are we doing? They, oh, there you go. That's it. That is, that is it. Um, that is it. So, this passage um, is like the first... 
creak of the door before it opens. Every Jew had heard about this uh, promise. The door which every God-fearing Jew's eyes were fixed on for literally hundreds of years, even thousands of years, for generation after generation, waiting expectantly for this door to open. All the way through the Old Testament, there had been announcement after announcement, promise after promise, of this rescuer who's going to come one day. The messages from God have been getting clearer and clearer. When he comes, he's going to be like this. When he comes, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to go there. He's going to do a rescue for us. He's going to perform a rescue for us. And then, silence. Silence from heaven. No more messages, no more descriptions, just silence for 400 years. Now, during that 400 years, lots of stuff happened. Um, and we don't often sort of recognize that fact, but there was 400 years. We had the Persian Empire. Um, that got overtaken by Alexander the Great, who came and um, was great. And uh, he went around the world conquering everything. And then we have the, what's called the Maccabean uh, Rebellion. That isn't up there. This is the first creak of the door. The Maccabean Rebellion. Uh, where the Jews kind of rose up and were able to then rule themselves for about a hundred years. Uh, and then they had two leaders who came up out of that, after that Maccabean rebellion, and they couldn't decide who was going to be uh, the one uh, leader. So do you know what? They thought, oh, we've got a good idea. Let's ask the Romans to come and decide for us. So what do the Romans do? Oh, yes, we'll come and decide for you. And they just basically took over. And that's where we are uh, in the story. The Romans are, are in charge, if you like. But God wasn't speaking. He was silent for 400 years. It would be like, uh, here we are in, in 2021, it would be like God stopping his messages since 1621. We're talking a long, long time. But then the door creaks a little. And we have this anticipation, like something's about to happen. And there's a small shaft of light. And that's where we are now. The door has just creaked open a little, and this old priest, this righteous man, Zachariah, married to Elizabeth, both of the tribe of Levi, both righteous people before God. He's the one chosen to hear it. Now, what eventually came through that door rocked the world to its core. But, we'll, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. But there's a couple of ironies here. This is Zechariah. Zechariah was an old man. Elizabeth was an old lady. 
And this angel comes and stands before him, the angel Gabriel, who um, actually is the same angel who spoke to Daniel 490 years earlier. So we know this angel's at least 490 years old. Um, and Zachariah, he says, you, you're going to have a... Oh, let me move this up a little bit so I don't keep popping. There we go. Zachariah is... Says, you know, but I'm old. So this angel appears to him in the in the temple, when everybody else is waiting outside. And he says, oh, basically, he says, I don't believe you. To this angel, the angel Gabriel, he says, I oh, want a sign. I want to, you know, I'm an old man. My wife is past childbearing age, and I don't believe you. So the angel says, Yes, I'll give you a sign. An irony of irony, what was the sign that he was given? Silence. Silence. You see the parallels? Silence. And it's quite likely that he was not only not able to speak, but not able to hear, because when it came to announcing the, the, or talking about the name, they had to kind of write it down to him and make signs to him. So, a silence. So what is Zechariah told? He's told, what does the angel tell him? Well, uh, he's told that the one in Malachi, which is the last book, the last prophet of the Old Testament before this silence, he's told that the one promised in Malachi, that last prophet of the Old Testament, had promised that there would come someone to announce that the door was finally opening. And this announcer was going to be none other than your child, Zachariah. They look back at, if you look back at those last few words of the Old Testament, uh, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. What does the angel say to Zechariah in, in, earlier in Luke? He says something very similar. He says, he will bring back, this is John the Baptist, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and their disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So now skip nine months, and we have this miracle baby to Elizabeth in her old age, and everyone is there, the whole village is kind of gathered there at, this, uh, at the naming ceremony, at the circumcision. And they're about to give the name to the child, but unbeknown to the relatives, God has already named this child. He's already chosen the name, and, and God's told Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel's told Zachariah, and Zachariah during the nine months has obviously passed this on to, to Elizabeth. <coughs> and I just love the emphasis that Zachariah gives it. He doesn't say, he shall be called John. He doesn't say, oh, I call him John. He says, 
his name is John. Now, that small act of obedience, by surrendering to God's will, Zechariah is released from the silence and begins to praise God in the little section that we're going to look at this morning. God has been at work in Zechariah's heart, unbelieving Zechariah. Zechariah, who, who didn't even believe it when an angel came and told him, is now going to give us one of the most wonderful explanations of what's about to happen that we find in God's word. Uh, and I'm sure Zechariah must have, during those nine months of waiting, must have been looking at those Old Testament um, passages in, in Malachi to see what was going to take place. <coughs> so this section um, traditionally is called the, uh, the Benedictus, which means blessed, because it's the first word in the Latin translation of, of this passage. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, which in our translation is, is translated, praise be to the Lord God of Israel. But let's pause there for a moment. Let's not rush over that. There's a truth here that we shouldn't skip over. Often the opening of the door to God's blessing is not so hard. It doesn't involve great rituals or getting ourselves into some state of spiritual fervour or, or some amazing act of faith. It's simply admitting that God was right all along, that his way is the best way, and that Zechariah bore testimony to when he said, his name is John. It was the result of nine months of silence and then a filling of the Holy Spirit. It comes with great joy. So let's see what Zechariah says as he proclaims the proclaimer. He wasn't going to walk 10,000 miles. <laughs> some, some of you got that one. He wasn't going to walk 10,000 miles, but he was going to make one step of faith. Rather surprisingly, he doesn't start by talking about his own son. That comes halfway through in verse 76. He starts by talking about this amazing plan of rescue that God has in mind. So, let's read it for ourselves. It, it, it's, if, you, if you look at the passage here, it, something strikes you, and that is, he's talking in the past tense. When he starts talking, he's talking about something that's about to happen, but he's talking... He's, he's relaying it as if it has already happened. He's speaking as if these things have already taken place. It's like Isaiah is saying these things are so certain that it's like it's already happened. It's so already fixed in history, so completely what's going to happen that, that I'm going to talk about it in the past tense like it has happened. And that was a way in which... Um, sorry, I've got a bit of a cold. <clears throat> that, 
That was often a way in which prophets um, emphasized the fact that it was so certain that things were going to happen that they would speak in the past tense. So what is going to happen? Let's crack on and see what's going what's to take place. So what is it that Zechariah says? What's the first thing that he says about this plan of rescue? God is coming. He's visiting us to redeem us. And to redeem is like to buy something back at personal cost to oneself. Going to buy him, going to buy us back. It's often a term referred to, um, to slaves. They, would be, uh, they could be bought back uh, or their freedom could be bought. Um, it's not something a, a slave could do themselves. But this is something... Uh, that somebody else does for them. Or it's like you've got an incredible debt, a, a debt you can't possibly repay. And God comes. And, and, and normally a relative would come and, and repay that debt for you. And this is part of the plan, that God is going to rescue his children. He's going to buy us, buy us back, buy his precious children back. What's the next thing we see? That <clears throat> he has raised up a horn of salvation for us, which is kind of a strange term. You know, what does that mean? What does a horn mean? I mean, don't think kind of billy goat horn, think of raging bull horn. Um, <clears throat> this is... Uh, to show that God's plan is going to be powerful. <clears throat> it's not some weak plan that might fail. This is God's powerful plan. Now, people often think of, of Jesus as this kind of sandal wearing, uh, somebody who wears this kind of a, a dressing gown, uh, floating around looking slightly vague. Um, gentle Jesus, weak and mild, that sort of idea. No. This Jesus, this Jesus is the one who is, the one who faced down death itself. The commander of heaven's armies who stayed his hand, that the people attacking him weren't completely wiped out. That could have been at the, at the end of a right now. Jesus, all-powerful Jesus, knowing that everything had been put under his feet, didn't use that power to smite the people, but stayed his hand. This isn't gentle Jesus, weak and mild. This is God. Next, we find he's a king. He's a king. It says it's in the, in the house of David, in the house of his servant David. Um, so, uh, what is that? I love that bit in the Old Testament. There's a bit in Genesis uh, I've uh, been reading, uh, uh, well, I read a, a, a while ago. There's a bit in Genesis where Jacob is blessing all his children. Of course, we've got the, the tribes of Israel there. And he gets to Judah, and do you know what he says to Judah? He says this. He says, the scepter 
the sign of authority, will not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from beneath his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations will be his. So it's like all these kings, that you have, these Israel's kings, are like just passing the authority down. They're just stewards kind of in the meantime. They're passing the authority down because they don't own the authority. They're going to pass it to the one to whom it belongs. At the end of the chain, there's God himself. He's the one the Old Testament, uh, the one the Old Testament promised. So it's worth, Zachari- uh, it's worth noting that Zachariah's name um, means uh, God remembers. God remembers. God has not forgotten all those Old Testament promises. Back in, the, uh, back in the Old Testament, by the, all those prophets. God has not forgotten that. God remembers. Isn't it great that the guy proclaiming that there is a proclaimer coming, his name is God remembers. It's interesting also that John's name means God is gracious. And of course, Jesus' name means God saves. There's the gospel there, isn't it? God remembers. God is gracious. And God saves. All those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah coming are like echoes of a voice, of God's voice, going back through history. Time and again we hear, God is coming. God is coming. The rescue is coming. The servant, the suffering servant's coming. As we read in that um, prophecy in Isaiah uh, earlier on. And then going forward through history, we've got those echoes coming to our ears with the amplification of the Holy Spirit going forward. So, what's next? He's going to rescue us from our enemies. He's going to rescue us. Can I change to this mic? Because I'll, go, I'll keep getting clicking. Is that all right? Okay. Perfect. He's going to rescue us from our enemies. Zechariah says next that the people hearing will most... Uh, well, actually, the people listening to what Zechariah was saying would most likely interpret this next little section thinking that, that the... Um, the deliverer was going to deliver them from the Romans. And he wouldn't be the, they wouldn't be the only one who had made that mistake. But God has a different, a different enemy in mind. Zechariah is talking about a more cosmic, a more earth-shattering, a more world-changing rescue that's planned, as we'll see in verse 79 a bit later on. John the Baptist will be a prophet of God to go before God, to prepare the people to meet God himself. 
You can imagine Zachariah there holding this child, can't you, in his arms. And up to now, maybe he's been looking up to heaven and talking about this rescue. And now he turns and he looks at his, his baby boy in his arms. And he starts talking about Zachariah's role. What's your role going to be, my child? Can you imagine there, no more proud father. And you can hear it in every syllable of the word, words when he says, and you, my child, and you, my child, you are the one who's going to prepare God's people to meet God himself. No prophet for 400 years. Then God sends a prophet to announce that none other than God himself is coming. He is going to rescue us. Do you know, on a Wednesday night, I, taught, I, I teach a, a Bible course for young people. And it's a 52-week Bible course. Um, and all the way through the course, we, we talk about the deliverer or the promised one as we go through the Old Testament bit by bit. But we don't mention who this person is going to be right up until the last part of the Old Testament. So I can remember a, a time teaching that course back in Reading. And we had a, a room of 50 young people from the, from the estate. And I was explaining to them that God's rescue, this time he, he's going to send someone. But this time, actually, he wasn't, the rescue required was so great, so cataclysmic. It needed a person of such power, such white-hot purity, that only God himself would be able to complete this, the task. And so God himself was coming to rescue us. I remember looking around the room and seeing their eyes white and their draw, jaws drop as you explain finally that this rescuer that, that God has promised, he wasn't entrusting to anybody else. He was going to come himself to rescue us. Zechariah says, John, you will be the one to prepare my people to meet God. God himself will do it. Then Zechariah goes on to share with us the last three important truths, uh, which I've gone with those classic management, what, how, why, and what. How, why, and what. How. The way to be saved, Zechariah is describing here for us, how. How. Is it through living a good life? Many think that. Some think that it's a question of 
doing enough good things to outweigh the bad. Some think that somehow we'll muddle through in the end. Many think that religion is a way to be saved through praying earnestly or, or coming to church. But Zachariah has it right here. We have a debt that cannot possibly be repaid. We need redeeming. We, each of us, know in our hearts that we've not lived up to our own standards, let alone other people's standards, let alone God's standards. And how, despite our best efforts, at least some of the time and often, we end up just feeling guilty, hoping no one will have noticed our wrongdoing, hoping no one will find out about our sin. Or is it just me? Even the good we do ends up being tinged by pride. What we need is not more of being told what we should be, not more of being told how far short we have come. What we need and what this world is crying out for is forgiveness. Forgiveness, unwarranted, unearned, undeserved forgiveness. Forgiveness for our many failings. Forgiveness for not taking God seriously. Forgive it, forgiveness for passing him by when he's given us everything. Forgiveness for the little things. Forgiveness for the big things. Forgiveness for a way of life that is pointing away from our loving Father who holds out his hands to offer us forgiveness. As I heard someone put it the other day, we may think that we have to spread a table for God somehow to appease him, to do something, anything to draw his love to us. But as a father has compassion on his son or daughter, so God has compassion on you. You don't need to do anything to earn God's favor. Just turn to him and he will receive you. I love the story of the prodigal son. It was still while he was a long way off, the father caught sight of him, hitched up his robe, undignified fashion, and ran to that son because he loved him. His son had finally come home the wayward child had at last come back. The way to be saved, how is that? It's through forgiveness. But why? We need to ask the question, why? Why would God provide a way? Why would he offer me forgiveness, though he knew it would cost him so dearly? Again, Zacharias tells us here, it's not because we've earned it somehow. It's not because we've pleased him in some way or by something we have done. It's because, well, 
There's no other answer other than God's tender mercy. God's tender mercy. We see it there plainly for us in verse 78. It's because of God's tender mercy. That is why God stepped down to rescue us. That's why he's burst into space and time and history. Why he was willing to sacrifice everything that was most precious to him in order to provide us with forgiveness. Look, there is no other reason that God has saved you or me or offered us salvation other than his tender mercy. And then Zechariah turns up the volume. He turns up the volume by, well, he says, it's not just a crack in the door. This is the rising of the sun. And we step back and we see the magnitude of what's happening here. Zechariah turns up the volume, as it were, and he says it's, it's not just some small, obscure door that this Jewish nation has been, has been waiting for it to open. This is for all mankind. This is for the world. It isn't just some small thing about to break on the earth. It is the thing that is about to break upon the earth. What the whole of mankind has been waiting for. The rising sun comes to us from heaven. Not a mere crack in the door. This is God out loud. God from the rooftops. God in every street, in every home, in every nation. This is the rising sun. Again, he picks up the theme in the, of the last chapter in, in Malachi. The rising sun will come slowly, steadily, with dignity, unhurried, inevitable, unstoppable, transformational. Just think when the sun rises, what, what it does to our world. What's dull becomes bright. What can't be seen becomes obvious. Paths become easy to follow and dangers more apparent. Dark and eerie places become bright and welcoming. Greys and blacks turn to deep colours. Warmth comes and thaws. Frosted grass. Everything is transformed by the rising sun. Everything. What a wonderful picture of God's rescue. The rising sun will come from heaven and he's coming with forgiveness. He's coming because of God's tender mercy. And he's coming to rescue you and me. But from what? What has he come to rescue us from? God has come to rescue us from the dark shadow of death. And death does cast a dark shadow, doesn't it? If you've lost anyone that you love, it leaves a shadow on your soul. 
There's something that constantly cries out in us. There's something that says in us, this shouldn't be like this. This is not what we planned. There's something wrong in death. It casts a deep, dark shadow on our lives. We can choose to ignore it or, or fill that aching void, but, but death is still there. It's still casting its shadow over everything we do, and eventually it will cast its shadow even over us. And there is nothing, simply nothing, that we ourselves can do about it. Yeah, we might be able to put off that day by eating healthy or, or um, by, by good habits, but eventually everyone dies. That's the stark truth of it, isn't it? This is what God has come to rescue us from. Right from the first rebellion against God, when Eve decided to take that apple, when things started to unwind and death took hold in this world as a result of our rebellion against the source of life itself. Ever since then, God has been promising a solution to the big, big problem to our greatest enemy, the enemy of death itself. And this last great enemy needs a last great rescue. A rescue that's greater than death itself. A rescue that pays, <coughs> pays the debt that death demands, that has the power to overcome death, that sets up camp as king over death, that echoes through history, I'm coming to rescue you from death, that is provided by God himself, that satisfies death through forgiveness because of God's tender mercy. It's light to dispel the darkness of death. And finally, to bring us peace. Peace with God. To reconcile us back to God. To restore the relationship with God our Father that was broken. But also to give us the peace of God. So not a lack of noise like a quiet emptiness. It's a fullness, a contentment, that satisfied sigh of knowing that I've finally come home. Finally, I know that I'm loved. Finally, I know where I'm going when I leave this body. To finally realize how much the Father has loved me because he's planned such an amazing rescue for me. Yes, even me. So after the long silence, Zachariah burst into song to proclaim the good news 
that his own son will proclaim that God is coming like the rising sun to give us a future and a hope to deliver us from death itself and there he says you my son will be the one to prepare the way for him no wonder he bursts into song I think I would Amen.